Listen, J. Crew, we have to tell you, there are puppies on this episode. That's right, puppies. And they are mother f- cute. So, you know, we, we may be swearing with, with squeals of puppy-loving delight. That has been your obscenity warning. This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast, taking you into 5779 since creation, right? The Jewish calendar, the real calendar, not that Darwinian evolution. No, that Gregorian BS. No, 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 no. I'm your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined this week by tablet senior writer, Leah Leibowitz. Shana tova, shavua tov, shalom. All those. And tablet deputy editor, Stephanie Butnick. Hello, happy holidays. Yeah, the gang is all together again. Today's Jews are Hal Linden. You know him as Barney Miller. And if you like, you either don't know him, you know him, or your father knows him right. as Barney Miller. Either you don't know him, or like me, you know him, and this is about as exciting a guest as there can be. He will be here with uh, Ryan Ochoa, who is um, a, a former Disney Channel star who is with Hal Linden in a new movie called The Samuel Project, uh, and they come in to talk about it. But before we get to them, um, happy belated Shminiat Seret, happy belated Simchas Torah. It occurred to me the other day um, that Shminiat Seret is like the over-under for Jewish knowledge. Like if you know, if you are if you work on a Jewish podcast, if Grammy's in a Jewish nursing home, if you get the local Jewish Federation newsletter, if you're somehow connected, you've at least heard of Shminiat Seret. And if you're totally secular and like you have no connection to the people at all. You're like you're making the shit up now. Yeah. Th- <laughs> you're just, then you're like, what? Well, Shmini- you're just saying you're just saying consonants at this point. Yeah, yeah. Then you're like, that's not a holiday. What, what is that? Shemini Antar is the over under. So I'm okay. in both camps because I know about it. But I'm also like, that can't be real. <laughs> that's not a real word. It's a so. But like, do you guys have one of those where it's like now that you're deep in the Jewish world, like this is knowledge that we now take for granted, but that your friends who are not connected are like, what? So when I started working at Tablet, I got assigned a piece like five interesting things to do for Tubishvat. And I was like, yes, I will definitely do that piece. And I was like, what the F is <laughs> Tubishvat? And it turns out like I did remember having learned about it in Hebrew school. It's basically oh, the New Year of the so Trees. Good. It's sort of like a an environmentally conscious holiday. It's a great, it's a great actually modern day to think about all these, all these things that we right. should be thinking about all the time. But so I, you know, I, I came up with the piece and I was just like, I'm going to learn a lot working here. <laughs> See, coming, I have the exact opposite journey, right? Coming from Israel where everything is like on Jewish calendar. Like the first couple of years, like, so today is Tubishvat. Who has the celebration? Where can I get the thing? That, I was like, ah, no, we don't do that here. This is a uh, civilization. We don't, right. we don't do your little tribal desert. When you discovered that Tubishvat and Tubaav were not major days on our calendar, right. you're like, what is this country? I mean, uh, today you do not wear white and dance in the streets. Why not? <laughs> it is Tubaav. Uh, Leo, we haven't seen you for a little while. What's 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 the haps? Uh, at- I've, I've, been, <laughs> I've been in my in my sukkah, hold up in my sukkah. Did you? Well, you well, you can't make a sukkah. Can I you? can't, but I got to tell you a very funny story. So I was actually in a conference uh, in Santa Barbara. Sounds uh, doing, awful. Doing, doing the thing. Poor baby. You know, California. Poor baby. Uh, Santa Barbara. It, it does not agree with me. Parts of it do not agree with me. Uh, and I figured out that some of these days are going to be sukkahs. Uh, and, you know, at home, one shakes one's own lulav. One does. Which I, I understand sounds probably a little bit too, you know, uh, you know, rated R as it is not intended to sound, but like when one flies, uh, one does not wish to carry one's lulav because, you know, one flies jet blue and there's not like a, a, a lulav <laughs> it's not jet, it's not over, jet blue. overhead, right? I oh, jet blue would be a great sukkah. It's like basically the, just a flying sukkah. <laughs> do the TSA people, like, are they lulav ready? Like when the, when the Haredi travelers go with their lulavs, do they know, pass it through? Having try, trying to have the tefillin conversation with the TSA people, <laughs> I can't even freaking imagine the lulav. It's like, what's that? Uh, those are my phylacteries. And what's that? <laughs> that is the palm frond I am religiously obligated to shake <laughs> once a day. It's like, what? I mean, the TSA I people know. must figure everything is a weird sex toy, that, right? That's, that's just, right. <laughs> like they've seen worse, whatever it is. So, you so do, what'd you do? You went to a, a su- And so uh, I Googled. What does one Google? Chabad. I Googled Chabad. It's right. like, where's the nearest Chabad? So of course, it was like two blocks over. So I walked. It's always two blocks away. It's always away. two blocks over from where it you moves are. moves depending on it where does. you are. <laughs> it's geolocated. It's like literally like a Starbucks. It's like the right. cloud in the desert that just follows them in the, as they wander. Right? So I walk in and it's it's the rabbi's home. 
and I knock on the door feeling like the world's biggest stalker because I know they're going to welcome me. But at the same time, you know, Rabbi Salman is sitting for his Fabrengen with the entire family. Right. Uh, and I knock on the door. I was like, hi, I'm a creepy guy in business casual attire who now wishes to step in, shake your lulav and leave. And they were so so nice of course they were this is like first of all have scotch i was like i like this already (laughs) so did they know do they know from liel Leibowitz? uh they knew from an orthodox uh but but first of all you know the big thing was like they knew from jews they knew from another jew just like can i shake the lulavs like brother have a drink we've been waiting for you all day (laughs) it was like elijah they were waiting for a a weird wandering araman you know stephanie how how was your circus so i have to say that my Sukkot was made possible, was sponsored by Leah Leibowitz. We've been working on a very top secret project that you guys are all going to hear about soon. But and love. I've spent a lot of time at Leah's apartment eating meals with his family, picking up his daughters from, from birthday parties. Like, And every night that I'm there, I get to shake the lulav, which is something I've actually never done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really fun. That's cool. Yeah. yeah you, we all line up. One of us, you know, I get in like in line in between his kids. <laughs> he shows me how to do it. So I feeds um, me. That that sounds amazing. Gives we, me allowance at our household. <laughs> I built the sukkah from from sukkahkit.org or whatever. By the way, if you like live in the suburbs, you kind of have to make a sukkah. Oh, like, yeah. There's I no mean, excuse. What I was going to say is that this year, like we ate in the it was there was a lot of rain. We ate there like breakfast once. I had a little <laughs> of an estrog, which just got soggy, which I never shook. But then last night, when technically sukkah was over, right? Because it was it was era of simchas Torah. Tea. Um, my kids were like, we haven't slept in the sukkah this year. And they did that one night last year. It was their little camping out. And my daughter, Claire, was like, I'm not doing that. It's it's cold and 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 I won't be cozy with my Harry Potter book. And so she went to bed and Rebecca and Ellie went out with little flashlights. Read, they, I said, if you guys build your fort, you can sleep there. They brought down blankets. They brought out their little flashlights. Aww. They had books. And they just at about 9.15, earlier than they normally would leave us alone, they went out back onto the deck got in their sukkah and we didn't hear from them again. Oh, it's on the deck. I was picturing this like on grass. And it's really on our bad. deck. Yeah. But okay. our deck has gotten slimy and mossy from all the rain. So, I, you know, but they they did it. They slept out there last I love night. That. In like the 50 degree damp. Little itinerant it was, Jews. It was awesome. Traveling to it, their own wilderness. It was really, really beautiful. And um, the only other thing I have to report, just because it really is weighing on my mind and I like keeping it real with you guys, is that about once a year, as you know, I get this notion that my next big project um, since, you know, the podcast thing is sort of has legs now is, um, is to open an independent bookstore in my neighborhood. I did not know this. And I talked about this once before, but it obviously didn't register because you're like, whatever. I was Mark. like, okay, Mark. Okay. But I'm now like, I'm actually talking to some investors. I've got like a little posse together. I'm so wow. into this. And I think, I think West Rock books may become a thing. Uh, and you know who would shop in the children's section? Rachel Weiss and Daniel Craig, who are first up in our News of the Jews this week because... Snaps to them. They had their baby, apparently. According to many unconfirmed reports... They Rachel, had a baby and they were spotted like with a baby carriage. So, And she was pregnant. First, yeah, pregnant, yeah. first comes love. <laughs> right. Then and, comes... Uh, they were married in 2011. This, of course, we have to be perfectly frank, was a source of some angst for people in the sphere because she is one of the great Jewesses. And she used to be married to Darren Aronofsky, uh, a member of the tribe. And then she did she leave him for Daniel for the very non-Jewish Daniel Craig, James Bond? Or did they did she and Darren? Dissolve. I don't know. Darren's fine. I'm not saying Darren's not fine, but we went from a juju couple to there were people. I'm just I'm just keeping it real. I didn't care. Like she can do what she wants with her love life. But I think there were people who thought like. But here's the thing: like being in Steven Spielberg's Munich is that not like a form of conversion these days? <laughs> I know Daniel Craig. <laughs> like, like if you go to a reform <laughs> temple, it's like okay, you have two choices: you either sit through this three week course, or you're in a Spielberg movie about. Israel. That's or you literally and just watched Munich. Right. That's, that's right. <laughs> so Liam Neeson's Jew. Everyone from Schindler's all I of have Jews. to say, well, yep. yeah, Liam Neeson, I totally, like, he's, By now, yes. he's fine with he's me. He's a Jew. I have to say, I went to my college, I went with my friend Kat to, like, a guy she had class with, his house, his, like, off-campus house, and they were watching Munich. He looked at me, he's like, y'all are a dirty people. And what? I was just like, that's the, your takeaway from Munich? I thought is I the where I thought that story was oh going. Lord. Where I thought that story was going was he, it was like he now had this knowledge of the Holocaust because you know or Israel like and he looked at you and said we're sorry. I thought that's oh, where no, you were going. He's like and he said it in like he didn't ha- like he literally was like y'all are dirty people. I knew enough that I felt uncomfortable. I hadn't whatever. That that's, was pretty much the only thing that right. happened to me Sleep in college. Sleep with one though. eye open, fucker. Because <laughs> we're coming for you. I think I think the baby should be named after a James Bond heroine. It should be Pussy Galore Vice Craig. That is the most awful thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's a, it's a real thing. 
I understand that. I'm <laughs> not that dumb. I would, it should be just, I'm not that young. It should be Octopussy Vice Craig. Um, on a more serious note of news of the Jews, this, this How was- How dare you, sir? <laughs> in the Florida governor's race, uh, you know, they have a very hot race down there. The Democrat Andrew Gillum uh, versus um, Ron something, I forget his last name, the Republican. Anyway- um, so in the Florida governor's race last Thursday night, um, a lot of Jewish voters got this text message that said newly unearthed comments made by Florida Democratic gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gillum's running mate. So lieutenant governor candidate raise serious concerns about Gillum's ever mounting ties to blatant anti-Semitism. Right? And um, it, it seems as if the comments that were being referred to were made about 20 years ago by Chris King, who is the lieutenant governor candidate. When King was um, at Harvard, he ran to become student body president and he uh, he lost and and he then said afterwards, I was nailed to the cross. Um, he was talking about how the Harvard Crimson, the newspaper, had covered his campaign. Most of the editorial staff that was so hard on me, the vast majority were Jewish. And that's not – In response, the Democrats said, come on, holding someone accountable for stuff he did in college or high school, that's just not right. The difference is that King had apologized for the remarks. And he said the comment I made there uh, that I said was wrong. And he said this in July. He said it hurt feelings. And I was sorry about making that comment 20 years ago. It was certainly not reflective then or now of my belief in diversity. That's obviously a lie because it certainly was reflective then of his belief in diversity, which was the Jews were out to get him because he was evangelical Christian. But I just want to say like – that's how things are supposed to go down, which is he did incredibly stupid shit in college and he owned it and he said, I'm a better person now. And I just, you know, I'm going to re-register in Florida and vote for Andrew Gillum just for that, just to get – because we want to show that there's such thing as redemption. Right, Liel? It's funny to me, like, this comment that he made actually doesn't bother me that much. If you – like, I get that he's saying that it was because he was a Christian and a bunch of Jews went after him. But the com the context of his comment is like, I was nailed to the cross. And most of the editorial staff who did that to me, they were Jewish. And I'm like – that's like kind of fun. Like there's like a, a darkness in there. Like it's almost like you could see that in like a Philip Roth novel. Like right. it's like there's something there that like, is hey, just. Dude, it's just like this great book I read once in which a, a Jewish guy was nailed, nailed to the, the cross. cross. But, you know? And there's some Jews there. There's some when Jews it, there. Some a lot Jews of Jews there. were there too. You should read that book. It will teach you a lot about how to live your life. Leo, can you come up with a more important, serious and grave bit of news of the Jews? Well, well yes, I can. Um, so as you know, uh, some time ago, I've decided to go kosher. Yeah, I know you're bragging about it all as the time. As you know, uh, that means that every day of the past, you know, two years or whatever it's been now, uh, I think about one thing. Bacon. I think about bacon. A lot. And now, from the New York Times this week, Meat Labs pursue a once impossible goal, kosher bacon. So this is a part of the clean meat <laughs> movement, which is really one of the most Hashtag disturbing. One of the most disturbing. Uh, yeah, that was really funny, Stephanie. <laughs> I was going to say hashtag meat. Too, no, but too no, soon. No, for that. Wait, that was funny too. You guys, I, I got nothing. Those were great. Clean meat. This is from the New York Times. <laughs> Clean meat, also known by names like cell-based agriculture, begins with cells taken from an animal, often stem cells that are primed to grow. Once these cells are isolated, they are put into a solution that mimics blood and encourages the cells to replicate. With this uh, process, you could apparently make maybe uh, bacon that uh, perhaps is uh, fitting uh, for for Jewish consumption because it does not actually violate halachic uh, but it's still pork, and requirements. Right? Uh, I don't know that it is still pork. I will say I'm not for it. You know? The kosher bacon? No, yeah. there's something so magical about knowing that you are making the sacrifice that you're set apart in a way. Like if everything, if technology just resolves all these differences, then what's the point? I, I completely hear that. I totally hear that. Stephanie, any news of the Jews? Well, first of all, I have to amend my news from last week about Post Malone and the Dybbuk box. Again, still my favorite story <laughs> of all time. I said that I was like, yeah, Post Malone's probably his real name. I was called out by several people. Oh. His name is obviously not Post Malone. It's Austin Richard Post. Oh, so he's he's really, he's hard. He's from this. He's, Austin Richard Post, I think, went to high school with Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, that's that's about. He, I mean, I don't know if you've seen him. He's like, oh, he's, he's like a white rapper yeah. with face tattoos. Yeah, yeah. And it says like, always tired under his eyes. And I'm like, I want that. I, too. I totally want that. <laughs> so I have to just correct that. But but I've, I think I have one. I have a, another good one this week that okay. brings me immense joy. This story is about a 99 year old lawyer in Connecticut who says he will only retire when they, quote, carry me out of here. 
Like he's bringing, he's taking like workaholic to a new level. Wow. So this is from JTA. They report that Morton Katz became a lawyer in 1951. Morton Katz. Morton Katz. I love, love you. It. He became a lawyer in 1951 <laughs> after serving in World War II. And he works as a special public defender for the state of Connecticut on a contract basis. He does almost all of his work in person and over the phone rather than using computers. But he impresses far younger colleagues with his sharpness of mind. And rather than using detail. computers of whose existence he is not aware. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the best thing. He's paid 300 $50 per case, no matter how much work he puts in, and he gets an hourly wage if the case goes to trial. And he's probably like the best lawyer because he's not like on email. Like he's just thinking about law all the time. He talks to his clients. He actually yeah, he meets talks them, to them, hears their concerns. Yeah. If there are any television writers looking for a really amazing new legal drama. Yeah. I mean, this is him. Look at him. Look at this bow tie. That's amazing. Oh, my God. I love him. I don't know that we'll be able to get him on the show. Imagine the TV can... show. Please rise. What? <laughs> I know that some of our listeners know Morton Katz. We want to hear your Morton Katz reminiscences um, or your suggestions for the Vice Craig baby name at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. We are pleased to welcome to uh, Argo Studios this week uh, Hal Linden, the American actor, singer, and musician who for coming up on seven decades now has been in our lives. Um, I first knew him watching uh, Barney Miller as a young child. And I, mean, I was the young child. He wasn't, uh, though he was he was younger then than now. I mean, he was. <laughs> but uh, was, uh, but he looks exactly the same. Uh, that ran on ABC from 1975 to 1982. But he also has a long history um, on Broadway and Anything Goes and The Rothschilds. And, and other shows and uh, is a, a singer and musician and uh, his young co-star in um, in the new movie The Samuel Project is Ryan Ochoa who is an, also an actor also a musician these guys like they could sing the whole like inter we don't even need to interview here you guys could just it could just be a musical number uh, has been in numerous films and TV shows uh, including Pair of Kings and the Nickelodeon series iCarly but together they are in The Samuel Project which has just opened in New York City we're excited to have you both here Thank you so much pleasure, for having sir. me. So, um, so I have to start off with this question. Like, you, Ryan, you are 12 years old? No, I'm kidding. How old are you? I, I'm times 10. Times uh, 10, right. No, I'm 22. So you're I, 22. I don't say my age all the time, actually. <laughs> it feels weird. It's the first scoop. Where, like, TMZ is going to be here saying, Ryan's 22. <laughs> and, and how's, you know, you're in your... I'm in my you know, gold, golden years. So, <laughs> okay, so here's my question, which is, were you familiar with each other's body of work when you came together, not only to star in this movie together, but to co-executive produce it? Like, I want to hear his, his answer first. Uh, no, were you I, an iCarly fan, Hal? I, I, no, I, I actually did not know Ryan at all or his work. We met at a uh, restaurant in, in San Diego to sit down and talk about the picture. I had no idea what he did. <laughs> and, and Ryan... Uh, the complete opposite. I was a huge fan. Um, the, what was really cool about working with him was when I told, I mean, my parents obviously knew who he was, but my grandparents, um, they, everyone was just like, wow, you're so lucky. But we always say it, it made the relationship on screen better because we felt like our characters were getting to know each other just like Hal and Ryan were. Which is actually part of the movie, which is yes, you're a somewhat estranged grandfather and grandson. Well, you know, I, I, we use the word estranged. I don't think it's an estrangement. I think it's just a normal distance between generations. We're happy to be together, except. I'm I'm too busy running my dry cleaning store and and cooking my food, and his father is too busy uh, babysitting open houses. He's a real estate salesman, and he's too busy with his schoolwork and and mm -hmm. and his life. And we 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 could sit together, but there's nothing to say to each other. So it's not an estrangement. There's no anger or or uh, animus between us. It's just the generational gap. Well, something that's interesting is like the language you guys use is different. Like you call someone fire, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, like. In, oh, there are a lot of words in the like show. Lit. did on purpose. Definitely. Yeah, so like, the first time I heard lit and, <laughs> and, and you represent. And the OG. <laughs> the OG, yeah. Where's the stew? Where's the stew? So let's back up a second here. And, and Hal, do you just want to tell us what the, what the Samuel Project is about? Well, basically, if you start with the three generations that, that as I say, just don't communicate. Listen, I was sitting around a, a dinner table with my granddaughter sitting next to me, and she was on her, ticking away on her cell phone. 
So I took out my cell phone and I texted her. <laughs> I said, the gentleman on your right is your grandfather. Say hello. <laughs> that seems to be the only way we can communicate. Uh, and and that, that's the, the life of the, of the three generations of this family. Uh, the actual story has to do with a project that uh, Eli gets in school. Eli is a um, wants to be an artist. He's a, he draws and, or as I say, doodles. And in executing this proce- uh, project, the Samuel project, he he take he finds out my story, mm-hmm. my backstory, and and does it and, and represents it in, in art. And you play a, a Holocaust survivor who's come to this country. I play a Holocaust survivor who came to this country, and like most Holocaust survivors, don't particularly want to talk about it. Very hard to get the information out of me. He does and makes his project, and in a sense, art becomes more eloquent than words, and the three generations kind of come closer together because of that project. Basically, that's what the story's about. I'll tell you something funny. So you play a, a dry cleaner Holocaust survivor who ends up hmm. teaching people about it. Uh, in New Haven, where, where I'm from now, um, Sidney Glucksman, the local dry cleaner, was was a Holocaust survivor <laughs> who was the guy who went into the local junior high schools and whatever and talked to people about about surviving. And, and Sidney and Libby Glucksman, who I think had met in a displaced persons camp or something, like the local dry cleaner was the Holocaust education guy. So for me, this really, <laughs> the movie really resonated in that way. But I, we, that's so cool. We yeah, yeah, Ryan's cool. mouth just dropped. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that was that was. I have no. It's cool because we always kind of say that we're like, this is a, a film that someone out there is going to be like, that's my story. Totally. Because <laughs> I mean, like we say, it's not based on a true story or ba- based on true events, but. Who knows? That's right. what we always say. Who knows? I definitely want to get back to the movie, but how? Since I have you here, <laughs> I just have to say. Um, so I did grow up knowing you on Barney Miller, which, by the way, if there are fans out there who have not experienced it, it really is one of the great half-hour TV comedies of all time. I've been binging it this week. Very oh. bingeable. It's super it bingeable. bingeable. What struck me re-binging this week was um, was the characterization, was the fact that, you know, Max Gale's character and Ron Glass's character and um, all the different characters, o- o- over they were all fully drawn. They were all their own people. They were all real. It wasn't just people spouting jokes it was an actual ensemble if you if you really watch it you'll notice another thing the the regular regular characters the police officers very rarely told jokes very rarely most of it was reactive the we would go into rehearsal and they were you know creative people and we'd come up with Wonderful gags and listen. If I do this, you do that. It'd be funny, right? You know, we'd cut, and the producer would take one look at him and he would say, "No, no, I don't want to do that." <laughs> His limitation was, he always said, "Would you go for help to a police officer who behaves like that?" So we always had to be functioning police officers. Now, the people we arrested or the people who came in to complain, they could be as crazy as you They could be totally looney tunes, right? They could be looney tunes. Right. But we had to behave as if they were deadly serious and and take care of everything all the time. Yes, we had strange qualities about the characters. Could be any kind of thing, you know, but... uh, but always had a function as police officers. And I wonder if the the dignity that you guys lent those police officers, certainly the kind of uh, the poise that you had as the captain, the one who well, had to preside over this this you know insane asylum of, of eight years without right. a, eight years without a punchline. Right. Like <laughs> so I I wondered if you know some of that came out of or was helped by your background in in theater. I mean, you had to have real poise. You know, you couldn't just be a ham. You're projecting from a stage. You have to fill the room. Growing up in the Bronx, you was the first thing you wanted to do be a, a a Broadway musical theater guy? Hardly. I never even went to the theater. <laughs> Hardly. I was a musician. I was a, a classically trained clarinet player. And I always say if I had a, the slightest modicum of discipline in my body, I probably would have spent my life in the first chair of a, of a major symphony orchestra. I was a very good clarinet player. I still am. I still play. Uh, but the, the point is I was in the music business. I played with the big bands. I... Uh, and I was all set to, to be a functioning musician. I had a 
very good career as a musician. The world changed in 1954. In 1954, I got out of the army, and all the big bands were disbanded. There was no more big band jazz. So like it, Ch Chuck Berry and Elvis killed... Uh, uh, Bill Haley and the Comets. Killed the big band, yeah. Just killed the big bands, and... It wasn't anything that... <laughs> It wasn't anything I really wanted to do. Uh, I, as I sat in my chair listening to Bill Haley and the Comets rehearse, I said, I have seen the future and I want no part of it. <laughs> well, in, in the Army, I had started to, I'd started to do soldier. I was always the boy singer in the uh -huh. band. So I did singing, and I was the personality kid, you know. The bride cuts the cake. I was the guy who did that, you know. So um, I just expanded on that in the Army. I did some soldier shows, things like that. And I said, well, let's see what this acting thing's about. And that's yeah. what started the whole thing. So that's a good segue to talk to you, Ryan, because you've been, you've sort of been through the Disney system, the Nick, Nickelodeon system yes. um, on Pair of Kings and iCarly. But so what is it like for you? You know, that's a few years past now. What is it like for you to sort of try to, I mean, this is a serious role and you're, you seem to be quite a serious actor. What is that transition like? When I started, when I started acting, this is what I, this is why I wanted to do it for roles like this. But when you're a 12 and 13-year-old boy, <laughs> you know, Disney and Nickelodeon is the route. And especially for, I can't even say for agencies, but, you know, when you're, when you're a boy, I mean, I'm very outgoing. I think my agent's kind of like, yeah, I mean, you need to go out for those roles. And um, coincidentally, I ended up doing a uh, drama baseball film that takes place in 1957. So I always try to ask, Hal, do you remember this time? <laughs> um, but in that movie, I worked with three, uh, three of my co-stars were on Disney Channel, huge shows, Wizards of Waverly Place, Hannah Montana, the two biggest shows at the time. And uh, I ended up, we ended up becoming best friends. So then I was always on the sets and then I ended up get, getting a Disney show. And uh, I, I do have to say, like, people always ask me, like, what, now, what, what did you learn from that? Um, I learned the, the, the craziness of the workflow. I mean, people, some people don't know, like these are major productions, you know, film and, and working for huge companies like Disney. And, um, I was in a Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey directed by an Oscar winning director, Robert Zemeckis. Like these are huge budget films and it's a lot of work. And, uh, so to come and bring all of that knowledge and experience. That's what it really is. I mean, it, it was, it's all experience. And then to come and work with someone like Hal, who his experience is beyond what anybody knows. So, um, <laughs> the you have to come in, in you have to come in w with your a plus plus game with someone like him. And, uh, I think all of that kind of led me to be able to do the movie like this. So this is a very serious and important question. Your fans are called the Ryanators. Oh, good job. I yes. know that. What we do our, the Ryanators. 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 So, so Hal, I think your fans, and they are Legion, need like a name. <laughs> like the Believers. Well, like we need something for you. Um, the Lipschitz Cabal. The Lipschitz. <laughs> you know, I actually wasn't going to bring up your okay, original right. last name. The Lindenites. The Lindenites. <laughs> Lindenites, I like that. I wasn't going to bring up your, you know, it, a lot of interviews with you have started with, you were born Harold Lipschitz in the Bronx. Harold Lipschitz in the and, Bronx, New And, York. you know, okay, a lot of people changed their names back then. Of course, Ralph Lauren was Ralph Lipschitz. And right. my question is, are you guys cousins? No. No, I have no. Uh, you're no, just of the. You're of the Grand Concourse Lipschitzes, there, there and he are, was of. Oh the... no, 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 no. He no. As a matter of fact, we were both in the same area. Is that right? Yes. Um, no, East Bronx, uh, Fort Apache. No, oh, okay. No Grand Concourse. No Grand Concourse. You're from the rough. You're from the hood of the Bronx. The hood. Uh, so listeners definitely should write in what the Hal what the Hal community should be. Yeah, the, 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 we'll the, let you know. I can see the hashtag already. And you you got Lyndon from uh, where did Lyndon come from? Linda, New Jersey. I was doing a, a I, I decided to change my name, and it wasn't for theater. It was for to be a band leader. I so I decided to change my name between between high school and college, so that I would start fresh. So it wasn't an agent who sat you down and said, "Oh no, 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 no." I was I was a band leader. I was band leader, and I had. Uh, 
so we were looking for a name, and I, I was doing a gig in uh, New Jersey down the sh uh, south shore there, uh, a Christmas gig. And on the way back, I started college, I guess, in January, February. So this was cr right after Christmas. We went through Linden, New Jersey. There was this enormous gas storage tank, you know, one of those things that goes up when it's falling yeah. down. And on the side, it said Linden. And it, the, Linden, the letters must have been three stories high because it was fully up. So I said, well, that's there good, you go. good billing. See, now, if Stephanie Butnick were going to change her name, you could just go with your middle name. You'd be Stephanie Taylor. I would never change my name. Is there I something wrong with Butnick? Nothing, <laughs> nothing wrong with Oppenheimer. Did I ever tell you to change your, your last name uh, to, to Latino? Yes and no. It's been, it's been a conversation, especially after – it's not, not a bad thing, but after Disney – you know, some some people just have a, a rough time. That's why a lot of kids go off to college and they kind of take a break from the industry because, I mean, not too many people know this, but there was casting directors, directors that wouldn't even see me because, oh, he's a Disney kid. Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure you know this, but it, it, it for well, someone like me who, like I just said, I was doing film before my, I you know, teen, you know, my kids show, you know, days. So, Ryan, you play um, Eli. He's a Jewish character in the film, and you have Jewish heritage yourself, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Tell us, who, who, who's Jewish? Where's my, the heritage? Oh, my dad. Your dad's my, Jewish? Yeah, He's, my, my great-grandfather is uh, Russian Jew, 100% Russian Jew, so my dad is 50%. And, uh, so you're oh, a quarter Jewish? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You could, you could be an Israeli citizen. Yeah, yeah, that's what you need. You could move there. If things get a little rough in L.A. or San Diego, but you'd have to be in the you, army. You, you so. never know. Yeah, you have to. And army I like service. traveling, so we're, there you we're go. In a good, so uh, did you draw on that as part of you know this role? Oh, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, I just I, I I have really embraced it even extra. And then after meeting Hal too, um, you know, hearing stories and you know he's he's Jewish too. Um, what? What? <laughs> yeah. Lipschitz. And, exactly. <laughs> On a different note. Okay. You were married for a long time. 52 years. I have noted through my long experience reading People magazine <laughs> that most actors are married for a few years and then to someone else for a few years. And then it is pretty rare, I, I don't, think. I, you know, I don't, I'm not too sure that's accurate. Uh, yeah, I think that's what you get in People magazine because they don't do stories about People who've been married fifty-two years—they do stories about divorces and and remarriages. You know, I don't think it's. I, you only hear about the the breakups and the divorces the and the whatnot. Oh, well. Any any advice for those of us? In, Stephanie's in her first year of marriage. I'm in my thirteenth. Work at it. It's a job. <laughs> Always be working. The Hal Linden, the Hal Linden story. There you go. Always be working and get out Work on date nights it. and see movies like the Samuel Project. There you go. Final question for you: Do you guys text each other? Each other? Yeah. Are you texting? I actually have a cool story about this myself. <laughs> Look okay. at that! Learning from Hal. <laughs> so it had been from like the first time me and him saw the movie. Well, this is for me. The first time we saw the movie, um, it had been like three to four months. We were kind of in that. You know, just waiting for the, um, you know, to hear what was happening with distribution, whatever. Um, but being with him for so long and then like 80, I mean, just like other stuff, it felt weird not talking to him or seeing him. And I wanted so bad to text him, so bad. And I asked our producer, Steve, I said, hey, have you heard from Hal? Like, I don't want him to think that I'm like ignoring him or like just <laughs> went, went MIA on him. He's like, Ryan. You gotta call him. <laughs> Just call him. And it, he he said he texted me his number, and I call, he, I was like, you think he'll answer? He's like, for some reason he's always home. Just call his home phone. <laughs> <laughs> and so five minutes later, I call him, and Hal answers. He's like, hello. I'm like, hi. This is Ryan, your grandson Ryan Ochoa. He's like. I know a Ryan Ochoa. He's like, perfect timing. I just walked inside my house right now. I'm like, coincidence. And we talked for, I mean, it was a quick conversation, maybe 10 minutes. And uh, it was it just felt nice. And then uh, now, I mean, we're, we're with each other a lot anymore, so I don't, I don't need to call him until, you know, <laughs> hopefully we're calling him saying, hey, are you ready to go to the Oscars? But the answer so, is he's the one person you actually make real telephone calls to. Everyone else you text. Probably the only person. Oh, maybe maybe my <laughs> maybe my gra my grandma, I, but I still text her too. 
But no, Hal Linden, you want to talk to him, you pick up the I, phone. I text. You I do? I text. Oh, yeah. Sure. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, I know Stephanie said last question, but this isn't a question. I just have to say that in my research, I discovered this is that you actually did do a more Holocaust-themed movie in the past. I wonder if you even remember this. When you've done a CBS after school special uh, in which you play a rabbi whose house is graffitied which with is swastikas. True story, true story of, a, of a rabbi in uh, New Jersey here. Yeah. 1994, you did The Writing on the Wall. Writing on the Wall. A CBS after school special. Uh, Hal Linden and Ryan Ochoa, they star in The Samuel Project, which is opened in New York and maybe in a city near you. Thanks so much for coming on Unorthodox. Thanks for having us. Two, two Jews of the week. <laughs> two Jews of the week. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. We would like to welcome to uh, to the sound booth, to the air chair, our producer, Josh Cross. Hi, Josh. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. We need to talk fundraiser because you, you captained that ship. And our listeners recall that for about a month we were talking about, please give, please give, please give. And, and the good news is that they gave. And I think partly it might have been in response to our fun little uh, little game that we're going to talk about. And partly it's just out of love. But uh, the bottom line is uh, we, we made our numbers, right, Josh? We did absolutely astounding. I'm so grateful and thankful and super impressed by everything that everyone gave. We're going to be able to do so many cool things like something on this show and all sorts of stuff just because people went in their pockets and gave us some of it so we can give back to you all. Yeah, and it was about twice as much as last year. We got to about $50,000. I also want to take this moment to say that two foundations kicked in uh, money. Uh, the Natan Foundation has become a very generous donor, and the Lichtig Foundation uh, in San Diego has also uh, shown us some love. But but really, it was like the hundreds of people in the J. Crew. Now, we have to talk a little bit about about the, the contest, right? Because as some of you will recall, and we, we've added some new listeners in the last few weeks, and so you might not know this, but part of the deal was that everyone who gave money got to vote for either me, Liel, or Stephanie. And um, whoever among us got the fewest votes had to to do some sort of onerous task. In my case, it was going to be treating these guys to a movie since uh, it's well known to listeners of the show that I'm averse to paying for movies. Stephanie would have had to get a mezuzah on her door, um, which for some reason she doesn't have yet. And which people don't feel strongly about at all in no, either direction. Not at all. And Liel, who um, has some sort of bee in his bonnet about the country of Belgium, uh, if he lost, had to go on a Belgian sensitivity uh, training. training uh, Re-education. Re education to be devised at a time later. Josh, what what were the results? So I do want to point out that there were some people who were confused about how to make Stephanie get a mezuzah. So probably maybe too many of them voted just for Mark mm. um, and not enough for Liel strategically. So it was really close for a while. And Does that mean I lost? I, don't, I wouldn't call you a loser. <laughs> This is preposterous. Liel squeaked by in losing. Squeaked. He, he was, it was a narrow loss. It's amazing because people very were voting against loss. me, which is not even a thing you could do. Right. Like people were like, I vote against Stephanie. And it's like, you can't do that. Right. So but, I'm amazed that even with. So hold on. So all the you know, against Stephanie votes did not count. No, this they is counted. like a, a Moonlight Oscar But you'd ha they moment. said against Stephanie, I'm for Mark or something like that. So basically, can you give us a. a I imagine that I had the, the most votes for me and then also the most of any of you guys votes against me looking through the feedback i saw yeah based on emails i've yeah, gotten uh, looking through the feedback i saw it lots of stephanie needs that mezuzah i saw a lot of <laughs> signed stephanie's but, grandmother right, yeah, right, exactly. i mean but a couple I people said, don't care at least two people said i'll double my my gift if stephanie gets a mezuzah like whatever the final result is if somebody gets a mezuzah i'm it goes from 250 to 500 I, I love that they're so invested in other people's practice yeah exactly you know? but i have to say so um Apolloid collection sent me did i say this last week they sent me my own pink
pink mezuzah. Oh. And I, it's so pretty. I want to keep it. Like I want to see it with a cattail. No. No. Look, the results mezuzah. of this contest confirm what I've what I've known for long. I probably have the fewest fans, but they're probably you know very well armed. They're the scariest. Uh, so, right. they, they they were the more of the all caps fans. In, right. In, in, in <laughs> yeah. a conflict situation. So you know, what we are we going to do? So, right. So we have to. So the, the, the upshot is that Liel lost and now we have to come up with some sort of sens- Belgian sensitivity tour. Well, I have some ideas. Yeah. Right. But well, the first thing I need to do is put out a call. Anybody who's listening, email me. Mark says my email a thousand times. It's just jcross with a K at tabletmag.com. If you've got connections to Belgian artists, Belgian musicians, all sorts of things, we're going to go out to eat. I'm going to eat mussels in front of Liel just to make him suffer. There's a Belgian beer hall like right around the corner from this studio. I think we'll do like a maybe you'll have like a morning session with your with your new trainer. It's kind of like when John Galliano like messed up and said all those anti-Semitic things and like literally had to meet with the ADL and like he got a book list. He had to read it and he was like basically touring the country. The book list, like, in my speaking. case, will be read Tintin <laughs> volumes one through seven. <laughs> 7, so listen, the bottom line is uh, you guys, our fans, gave generously. And, yeah, thank you. And thank you, thank, thank you, you, thank you. We and love you. As Josh pointed out, we um, what this allows us to do is hire people uh, like Josh, like Sophia, like Noah, like Shira. It allows us to get equipment that takes us out of the studio. It allows us to fly places. It allows us to do more live shows. It allows us to be the best podcast we can be. And um, we will probably remind you to give money again right around tax season in December. I'll say something. But otherwise, we just want you to, um, to curl up with a nice Belgian microbrew and uh, and enjoy the show. Okay, guys, this past weekend, I did something amazing, and you are going to be so freaking jealous. What'd you do? I went to Central Park to learn Yiddish with a bunch of dogs. Hey, Josh here. In last week's episode, Mark and Stephanie accused me of stepping out on them behind their backs just because I went produce shopping with Liel. It was obvious they were a little jealous. Stephanie even left me a voicemail wherein she promised a fun event that would include Dogs, Central Park, swag, like this bandana that now I'm wearing. Well, I like all of those things, so I packed up my dog Oscar, my recording gear, and met her over in the park. She wasn't lying about the bandanas either. I'll let her explain the rest. So we're here in Central Park, and we're about to go to a workshop called Yiddish for Dogs. It's run by the Workman's Circle, which is a pretty famous uh, Yiddish organization, and they they do Yiddish classes. I've actually taken classes there with Kolya, and they also do other sort of lectures and programming, things like that. This is their latest offering. Every workshop has been sold out so far, and we figured we had to check it out. Josh, you actually brought your dog, Oscar. I have some friends who I know who signed up for the class, so we're going to really, really get to the bottom of this. Who signs up for this kind of thing? What actually goes down? at a Yiddish workshop for dogs and whether we can teach these old dogs some new tricks in. First, let's meet the team that's putting this Meshugana event together. So I'm Ann Toback. I'm the executive director of the Workman Circle. And this is my dog, Jesse. He's a golden doodle. And um, he's the inspiration for Yiddish for Dogs. I run the Workman Circle, and one of our major programs is Yiddish. We're an organization that powers progressive Jewish identity through cultural engagement, Yiddish language learning, education, and social justice activism. Um, But right now, we teach more Yiddish than anyone else in the world. I thought, you know, there's this opportunity to connect people and show them that Yiddish is a living language. It's a language that Jews lived for over a thousand years, and... What better way than to share it with your dog and to other people who love dogs? Jesse picked up on the Yiddish language um, commands very, very well. The thing about Yiddish is it sounds different than English. So when you say stay, they hear stay in their common, you know, everyday world. But stay is different. It's a little bit, they don't hear that, except when I give him that command as part of our our dog training or our ope is down. Well, that's very different than down. He hears down all the time. In fact, strangers, if he jumps on someone on the street, they're going to say down, you know, or, but he never hears our ope. So the Yiddish actually really, really works out 
as far as a, as a training tool as well, which is only um, a win-win-win. <laughs> and so what's Jesse's favorite Yiddish word? I think good. Good good hunt. Good dog. <laughs> Jesse, you're a good hunt. Are you a good you're hunt? A good hunt. My name is Laser Burko. I'm a professional Yiddishist. I think for dogs, we have to keep it simple because dogs have a very limited vocabulary. So you keep it to monosyllabic commands <laughs> and nothing more complicated. Stay, stand. Zitz, which is sit. Arop, down. Aruf, which is up. Kum, which is come. Gut, which is good. Nain, which is no. Gay, go. Kichel is a cookie. And Tzedek, which is fetch. So it really means uh, come back, back. Heard that somewhere that maybe Yiddish is, sounds more uh, commanding than English. I'm not sure if that's true. Because we're using them as commands, of course they sound maybe harsher. I think probably there are very few dogs that understand Yiddish nowadays just because that having dogs is a fairly modern phenomenon for Jews. Traditionally Jews didn't have dogs. Dogs were sort of a goyish thing. So the dogs belonged to the, the poritz, the landowner who's usually Polish, uh, and Jews were scared of them. And so there are all sorts of negative uh, expressions for dogs in Yiddish. Madafim oismaiden via meshugenem hunt. Need to avoid him like a crazy, like a rabid dog. Or karg via hunt. Stingy like a dog. Der hunt is wert dem stecken. The dog deserves the, the stick. It means the dog, you refer to a person. person deserves what he got. And there are others like that. Ah, a hunt mit euren. A dog with ears. I don't know why exactly, but a dog with ears was ears were imagined to be an even worse sort of dog. So a hund mit Euren is like the worst kind of dog. Vicious, you know, I don't know, something like that. So we've got lots of expressions, and actually there, there are dozens more in the thesaurus, uh, and they're almost all negative. Uh, actually, they all are negative. Thank you so much, Laser. We're excited for this. So my name is Miguel Rodriguez. Uh, I'm a dog trainer. I own a business called City Dog Pack, and uh, one of my customers is Zan Toback. I've done a lot of work with Jesse. I, I walk him, I train him. And so what was your response when she said, can you t help me teach dogs Yiddish? Yiddish? Do people even use Yiddish anymore? <laughs> but she was explaining to me that she's trying to re revitalize the, the language, which I think is pretty cool. And uh, once I started to look up the vocabulary, I noticed it's very similar to German. And uh, I used to train dogs in uh, German protection training. So a lot of the vocabulary is quite similar. What I noticed is that the dogs do pick up on the commands a little bit better because since Yiddish isn't the first language a lot of the people who participate, they, they tend to emphasize the words a little bit better. So some trainers, whenever they, they teach uh, tr people to train their dogs, they use German words instead for that same reason. And now, the Hund. My Hund's name is Ali. Uh, my name is Steve Zellman. He barks good in Yiddish, but he doesn't read it very well, so I was hoping to make some progress here. Maybe he's, he'll meet a nice Jewish dog. Hi, Oscar. Oscar, are you going to be a Yiddish in, a Yiddish in hunt? A Yiddin hunt? Oscar sits. I think I think we need the treats for this to work. Meshuggah hunt. Why'd you look at me for that? Don't answer to that. Oscar, don't answer to that. Oh my, this, this bandana is the cutest thing. It smells like poop. Yeah. I, I'm now afraid of where I'm walking. Oh, relax. It's, uh, all these people pick up. <laughs> this is Archie. He's a Havanese. He's a hard Havanese. He's from Queens. We'd like to get him to sit. We'd like to get him to sit. To sit. Zit. Make some friends. It's like it's like a dog park, but like full of Jews. My name's Andrew. My name's Kristen. And I got here because you recommended it to us, Stephanie. You recommended it a year ago, and Andrew has been talking about it ever since. Hi, Durham. It's nice to see you again. Hello. Oh, I love Durham. <laughs> what are your expectations for today? Hopefully the Durham is slightly better trained and knows a few words of Yiddish to really get in touch with our heritage. She knows a little bit of Polish, so Yiddish is kind of close to that. Yeah. This is good because she's going to have to get into preschool soon, yeah, so it's like right. proficiency is important. I'm Avi Freeman, and I just got here because, yes, I like dogs. Yes, I like being Jewish, and I like dogs. I like dogs, and I like being Jewish. Are you here with a dog? No. Maybe I'm here with a future dog. Like, maybe I'll get a dog sooner or later. His name's Leo. Leo! He's the most special boy in all the land. He's a good boy. He's not very smart. He can't really do any tricks. He can sit. Can he sit, though? Sometimes. Barely. <laughs> all right, let's learn some Yiddish. As Lazer said, by the way, that's an awesome name. <laughs> Yiddish commands just work a little bit better with dogs. Uh, I always tell people, whenever you give your dog commands, such as sit in English, 
always tell them to emphasize the word. So instead of telling your dog to sit, I tell people to say sits. But with the Yiddish commands, the words are a lot sharper, so you don't necessarily have to do that, and dogs tend to pick up on it a lot better. So big circle around me, please. Everyone spread out as much as you can. Sits. Okay. Oscar sits. 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 Good. You want to stand right in front of the dog. You want to bring the treat to the dog's face. You want to say, hey, good. Good. Sit. Sorry. Sit. Bring the treat to the dog's nose and raise Good. Yes. Good girl. Archie, sit. Good. Oh, it's such a big piece. This is Cody. Sit. Cody, sit. He's listening. He's listening. Maybe he spoke Yiddish all along. Okay, now he sits before I even ask him. <laughs> How do we say down? Arop. Arop. Arop, eh? It sits and then arop. And it goes. He's now interrupting. <laughs> He's sitting all the way. <laughs> Okay, zips. Let me know. Uh, no. no! So, as a certified cat lady, how are you feeling about all these dogs? I So, look, I grew up with dogs. I'm pro-dog. I love all of these dogs. I'm, I'm happy to, like, I love them. I love this. I'm all about this. This is freaking cute. I'm so impressed that these dogs haven't just, like, all broken free and like left together because there's so many dogs here. Yeah, there's like 15 dogs here. And I'm just impressed that they're all, I guess it's the treats, but they're all able to like focus on their individual tasks. I'm confused about the hurdles that we have here because I'm like, what is gonna happen there? This to me is a genius idea. The dogs look happy. One dog is sniffing another dog's butt, but other than that, dogs are like very focused. They're sitting, they're staying. They're zitzing, they're staying. staying or staying? Do you think it's possible you've just been talking to Cat Stevens in the wrong language for all these years? I mean, to me... Like, didn't he grow up on the Lower East Side? <laughs> no, he grew, up, he grew up in deep Brooklyn, on the streets, literally. How is Durham taking to these commands? She's good. She's... I th honestly, I think it's like, it, she gets it. I did not realize hurdling was part of this. I thought hurdling was just for horses and people. The jump command is... Spring! Spring! Walk over. When your dog gets to the hurdle, you want to tell them to spring! Jesse, sit, stay, stay, spring. <laughs> He's listening exceptionally today. You think it's the Yiddish? I don't know what it is, but yeah, I've never seen so well behaved. I'm telling you, it's the Yiddish. It's also, I'm convinced it's also our sort of, um, it's the fact that we're having fun. I think Durham might be scared of heights. Durham is having a little bit of trouble at the hurdle. He's now hiding behind his mother. Seid gesund! So how was it? What does Archie think? And what do you guys think? It was good. <laughs> no, it was good. It was fun. Uh, Ollie took to the, to the treats like yeah. nobody's business. <laughs> the, did he like his kichel? Um, oh, he loves it. He loves a good kichel. I only give him kicheloch though, because he's a little dog. We're back with Andrew and Kristen. How did Durham do? Um, I think she's natural. Yeah, she's really got an affinity for language. Yeah. She's just not athletic. So I guess that proves that you can teach an old dog new tricks. Trickson. Get it? Like, get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> that was Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, and the dogs Oscar Cross and Durham Yaffe in Central Park last weekend. I want to say um, the thing that's enabled us to do segments like that is is the fundraiser. Like we yep. got recording equipment. I learned how to use it. I can go anywhere. I can go to Petaluma. I can go to Mollier's Kitchen. And it's just been a really, really fun thing. So I want to thank you guys for allowing me to explore this this new part of my, my radio persona. Best listeners ever. Woof. Hey, J. Crew, it is time for some pod biz. 
Tonight, May 16th, I'll be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please do three things. Number one, rate us on iTunes because that bumps us up in the, in the, you know, the graphics and whatnot, the metrics. Number two, join our Facebook group. Number three, sign up for the newsletter by writing to unorthodox at tabletmag.com and saying newsletter. Oh, number four, you should send us a letter. Tell me, tell me in the day or the night, would it kill you to call or write? We read them all, and then we we pick a few of them. It's hard to pick all the great ones because there's so many great ones. But here's one that that spoke directly to last week's uh, Sukkot episode, our agricultural episode. Dear J. Crew, great episode. I've never heard of a chicken ranch. We always called it a chicken farm. My maternal grandfather, Abraham Horowitz, was a poultry farmer in the Catskills. Yours, Jeffrey Grossman. Uh, fair point. Is it a chicken ranch or a chicken farm? I think... <laughs> I think, I think a chicken ranch is a different thing as <laughs> those who have seen Best Little Whorehouse in Texas know. Sorry, what? That was a movie with uh, with Burt. It wasn't Burt Reynolds oh, and Dolly Parton, absolutely. right? Um, that was the chicken ranch. But I don't know if you decide to just like, you know, raise chickens. Do you have a ranch or a farm? I would say it's uh, the outcome is pretty similar for the chickens, regardless of what you call it. The chicken's like, you think we're invested in that kind of nonsense? No. <laughs> but I mean, maybe we on know one what of them, you're going to do. Maybe on one of them, you're getting the eggs. and The other one, you're killing the chicken. Oh, so that's that's how you see it. A ranch is where they just hang out and just like lay <laughs> eggs. It's literally, it's canyon ranch, right. but for chickens. No, I think the ranch is where they come to no good. Like a ca- cattle is definitely on a ranch. I think that maybe the farm is where you just get the eggs. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't know. Ranch versus farm. The great debate of 5779. Farm to table in the case of the chicken. <laughs> yeah, they don't say ranch to table. Okay, our next letter, some of you are going to think was invented. Some of, some of you will think it is scripted. Some of you will think it is fiction. It is not. This really came in and this is a real thing. Dear Unorthodox, I am on a committee that is rewriting the program of the Communist Party USA in preparation for our 100th anniversary convention in June 2019 (laughs) in Chicago. There's a subsection of chapter three that refers to, quote, the Jewish people. And I suggested Jews instead of Jewish people. My comrade on the committee, a Latino from Texas, who's a pretty brilliant Marxist theorist, but who might not be correct about this. I don't think he is thinks that saying Jews sounds like an anti-Semitic slur, and we should say the Jewish people instead, as it was in the 2005 version. As the authorities on exactly these matters, Mark Leal and Stephanie, what do you think should go in the next program of the Communist Party USA? Yours truly, a very loyal listener. And there is more to this email that I cut out that proves she really is a very loyal listener. Like this is, we we go deep into the recesses (laughs) of the CPUSA. So should the Communist Party refer to us as the Jewish people or Jews? So here's the thing. (laughs) I've been converted over the course of this podcast. Like, I think it's ridiculous that someone thinks Jews is offensive. Like that to me says that they have something in their mind that it is offensive. I know, Mark, you've sort of like done the the brunt of the work trying to say like Jews is okay and should be okay. Yes, but I'm on your team now. Like, Thank you. Thank also, you. like the Jewish people is this like weird monolith. The like Jews is actually like 
a multitude of people that makes you know yep who we are yeah, yeah who we are exactly yeah I, and of course my my come to Jesus moment on this was um, when I was at the Hartford Current and I was writing about Senator Lieberman one time and I wrote Senator Lieberman it was it was an article that dealt with his religion. I wrote Senator Lieberman, comma, a Jew is the vice presidential candidate. And the, right. copy, and the, editor, editor. <laughs> the copy editor said, well, that's offensive. We yeah. have to say Senator Lieberman who happens to be Jewish. Or, or Senator Lieberman, a Jewish person or a Jewish man. I was like, who, no. Could you say Senator Lieberman who is Jewish? Right. Like that to me sounds like, but like the idea that people think a Jew is offensive right. is so weird to me because I'm like, it's just what we it's are. It's what we are. Here's Here's the deal. We we are voting for you. We think you should say Jews. And if anyone questions it, you can tell them that the number one Jewish podcast in the world, according to iTunes, said that you should say Jews. And if any of them is still fighting with you, we want to have them on the show to have this out. All right. So you have our Heckscher. Finally, let's end on a, on a really sweet and lovely note. Uh, this came into the mailbox and and made me so happy. Dear fellow voices, thank you so much for being the best soundtrack and background voices to my midnight feeds. Aww. I have recently had twins, Aww. Amos and Frida, Great names. and I've had trouble keeping up with your podcast. But then I had this great idea to listen to your podcast whilst doing the feeds overnight. She wrote whilst because she's Australian. Love it. Love everything about this letter. Four months in, your podcast have been making me laugh, at times cry, my hormones are still raging, and sometimes I see the twins laugh and I think they are enjoying the podcast too. Mazel tov on the three years, too many more. Always, Rebecca J. Hoffman and the Hoffman crew, Melbourne, Australia. The twins are like, there's some people who call it Jewish instead of Jews. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> Why do they have those funny accents? Oh, I love that so much. That is like the most adorable. Most, I think thing. are our youngest listeners. Rebecca Hoffman, you are a wonderful. We love you. We love your oh, children. So cute. Yeah. We love your entire family. Entire family. If you have a letter that good, or let's face it, 20% that good, write to us at unorthodoxatabletmag.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 914-570-4869. We read every letter and listen to every message, and plenty of good ones don't make it on the air, but they make us happy. Also, do you need some advice? If so, we have our weekly advice column that runs at tabletmag.com on Thursday or Friday. It's called Ask Unorthodox, and you can send in your questions about anything, anything under the sun. Uh, by writing to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. For Halloween, we are going to talk Jewish superstitions. A bunch of you have already gotten in touch with us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or our voicemail number to tell us about your weird family superstitions. And let me tell you, some of them blow our mind. Like we thought we knew the the Kinahora and the poop. There's some out there that are just uh, cray cray. We thought we knew from weird. We thought we knew weird. <laughs> you are the weirdest Jews in the world. Uh, so call in or write in and tell us the weirdest things your grandmother did or your your Zadie or whatever. The Golem, the Dybbuk, the this, the that. Post Malone, uh, we want to hear from you. <laughs> want to hear from you. Uh, help us out with our Halloween show where we're going to talk about superstitions. Uh, we have some live shows coming up. The most important one to know about right now is that we're back at the JCC in Manhattan, October 24th. Go to jccmanhattan.org and click on events if you want to buy tickets. We would love to see you there. We absolutely positively sold out our last show where we talked about the word Jap. This one will likely sell out as well. Get your tickets now. November 5th, we'll be at the Mandel JCC in Cleveland the following night on our road trip. Yeah, yeah. We're doing the middle of the country. Uh, the Rubenstein JCC in Houston. And you want to check out their websites for tickets. We also have plans to go to San Diego and Seattle and, uh, you know, to um, to your mom's Seder. We're, we're everywhere. We're, you can't stop us. Mazel tov, Stephanie. You have a Mazel tov for us? So I don't have a Mazel tov, but I do have a, a plug for a podcast that I've been really, really interested in. Um, you know, do you know that Nexium cult you may have heard of? There's a bunch of uh, exposés about it. It's basically this Albany-based group whose founder has been charged with money laundering and sex trafficking. And it's like a really, really crazy story. There's that Smallville actress, Alison Mack, who's like trying to recruit other actresses. It's, an, it's sort of a and bananas. And a couple of the Bronfman billionaire the daughters have joined yeah. the Nexium cult. So there's this great new CBC podcast. It's hosted by Josh Block, and it's called Uncover Escaping Nexium. He ran into a child a friend of his, Sarah Edmondson, who basically, he said, how are you? And she's like, I just left a cult. And he had sort of lost touch with her. Of course, they met at Habanim. They met at Jewish youth, like Jewish, Jewish labor, labor Zionist like, youth, youth camp. camps. And so I'm listening. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm into this. And then he's like, so Sarah and I met at a Jewish summer camp. And I was like, wow, every story truly is about the <laughs> about, Jews, about, about the Jewish people. Um, so it's just sort of a fascinating, <laughs> fascinating story. He sort of lost touch with her over the years as he, you know, he had heard she was in some sort of weird, weird thing. But um, it's really this fascinating raw listen. Um, and I'm just, it's a great project. Um, we also wanted to send some love to Scott Ellis, a friend of the show, and to let him know that we are thinking of him. Amen. 
Liel, a mazel tov this week? I think the mazel tov should go to all of us. All Jews everywhere who just survived, let's face it, not an easy period. 18 days of, you know, trials and tribulations of not eating, eating too much, sitting outside, sleeping outside lulavs. in the cold. You know, they really put you know, us through the ringer these yeah. last few weeks. We, uh, we, we, we've survived and, and here to, we are. And my happily. daughter Ellie would say, it's just lots of days off from school. That's right. Uh, my Mazel Tov is one that I forgot to make last week, um, I, just because I was off my game because Liel wasn't here, and you know the table sort of tilts the wrong way when Liel's That's not right. here, um, which I can't is throw my tilts, considerable weight. It tilts to the left. It tilts to the left, and um, which is that our fans of the show, friends of the show, one time hosts of a taping of the show in their living room, uh, Gavi and Livia Sabat Woods had their baby. Their baby is named yeah. Lilia Metal. They're calling her Lily May, and. I have seen this baby, and this baby is beautiful. And seen I know her on Instagram, she cute. I know beautiful babies. I know ugly baby. I know babies. <laughs> this is a beautiful baby. This is a well loved baby. Their dog Yitz loves this baby and will protect this baby with its life. Don't mess with this. And baby. can I say, if your Facebook feed, uh, like I think a lot of people's Facebook feeds, is beginning to look just like an insufferable stream of like depressing news, all you have to do is befriend Gavi on Facebook, and then you get. This adorable baby. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in your feed just to make you feel better. Same do on it. Instagram. He's really posting up a storm. Just do it. Really impressed. <laughs> Mazel tov to the Savit Woodses. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. You can ask for our newsletter by writing to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Put newsletter in the subject line. We often come to you live to book us or to advertise with us. Email producer Josh Cross at jcross with a K at tabletmag.com. And should you want to wear or carry Unorthodox, hit up bit.ly slash unortho shirt to find our store. It's shirts, mugs, stickers, onesies. You can put yourself or your caffeinated drink in Unorthodox gear. Follow us on Instagram at unorthodox podcast and on Twitter at unorthodox underscore pod. Follow Stephanie on Instagram at sbutnick. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Cross, Shira Telushkin, and Noah Levinson. Our editor is now Sophia Steinert-Evoy. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our social media intern continues to be Elazar Abrams. Our theme music is by Golem, online at golemrocks.com. And our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision this week by Rabbi Justin David of Congregation B'nai Israel in Northampton, Massachusetts, where they've been really, really nice to my dad, who has been doing some work up there in Northampton. We parade around with the Torah at Argo Studios, and we are proud to once have been part of the Panoply Network as we cast about for a new Mishkan in the desert. Shalom, friends.